Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Cristina Benitez, author of Latinization, How Latino Culture is Transforming the U.S. Today we will discuss her book. Cristina is the founder of Lazos Latinos, a Chicago branding and advertising company specializing in Hispanic markets. Prior to founding her company in 1998, she was Senior Vice President of Ethnic Marketing at Draft Worldwide. Before that, she was Vice President at FOVA, Gray Advertising's Hispanic Marketing Group. Her experience includes teaching secondary and college students Spanish for eight years. She is a board member of the Gateway Foundation, the Chicago Public Library, the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement, and Luna Negra Dance. In her recently released 128-page book, Latinization, How Lat Latino Culture is Transforming the U.S., Cristina, a second-generation Latina, relied on 20 years of Hispanic marketing experience and the input of 20 leaders. In the book, she also included quotes and the insights of 14 men and 6 women in the arts and sciences, many from the Chicago area, in her efforts to define the influence of Hispanics on American culture. The leaders Christina consulted include Hispanics and non-Hispanics, entrepreneurs, authors, artists, performers, managers, and the first woman to walk in space. Christina, welcome. Thank you very much, Elena. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is such a relevant and timely topic. How did you get started on the path to the, the topic and, and to writing a book, which is a, a big project? Well, it's really interesting because as I reflect back on this, it has been the story of my life. And I can give you the best example when I take a look at my name. Um, to give you a little bit of background, my father's from Juncos, Puerto Rico. My mother's like third, fourth generation. Um, she was born in Detroit, but her, her family is Welsh. And so when I was born, the, my, my Christian name was Maria Cristina Benitez. But this was back in the 50s, and it wasn't very cool to be Puerto Rican and have a Latina name at that time. My parents understood this, so they called me Chrissy. So I was very anglicized from the time I was born. So I was Chrissy, and then I moved on into high school, and I wanted to become so much more sophisticated. So I became Chris, and so my name was Chris. And then I go on, and I get married, and I marry a a man by the name of Bill Turner, and I become Chris Turner. So now I have lost sort of an identity of my Latina roots completely. Well, life takes many turns, and I um, unfortunately the marriage broke up, but I moved to New York City, and it was there back in the 80s that I decided that the name Cristina Benitez was a beautiful name. It also coincided with the advent of Hispanic marketing, and that's what I was getting into at the time, and it all fit together. And over the last 20 years, I've watched as our Latino culture has come into the mainstream, and now we see mojito jelly bellies in the hotel where I go to stay in. And I would venture to say that um, five years ago, six years ago, nobody in the mainstream would have known what a mojito is. And maybe today they really don't realize that it is a drink from Cuba 
but they know it's something that they want to taste, and it's something trendy, and it's something delicious. And so that's just a small example of how I've watched um, the Latino culture come into the mainstream and contribute to the mainstream. How did you decide that you wanted to write a book, and why? Um, you know, it's really interesting. that I was talking this morning to my husband about this, because the truth is, Elena, um, I would say 15 years ago, I never considered myself a writer. Um, I, I still make a lot of spelling mistakes, thank goodness for spell check and, and proofreaders. Um, and I didn't have a very strong sense of my writing ability, frankly. But as I said, the years progressed, and I, I began speaking more and more um, in front of large companies. And it was in um, October of 19—excuse uh, me, of 2005—when I was asked to do a keynote address for General Electric's Hispanic Forum in New York. And this is when they gather all of their top Latino employees, and there were 400 Latino employees there. And as I talked about our Latino culture and how it's coming into the mainstream and how the values are being um, appreciated within the mainstream, I felt a, a, a very tangible um, feel from the audience that it was doing something, that it, that it made them feel good, it empowered them. And that was the catalyst. That was where the inspiration occurred. And I was reading the other day that um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez says inspiration is never planned. It just happens. And that's when it happened. You know, I felt this, this energy from the group that they were really feeling good about being Latino. And, you know, going back to what I said before, for many years it was not okay to be Latina. Um, you were severely discriminated even with a, with a name. And people thought that Puerto Ricans were all from West Side Story when I was growing up. So it was that event um, in New York for General Electric in 2005. Now, modesty aside about your writing skills, you're definitely a reading enthusiast because you're quoting from a very famous author. Well, of course, you know. And but the truth, you know, we all have our little hang-ups, and and to make, um, you know, to be as honest and open and authentic as, as possible, it was something that I was discussing with my husband this morning. I mean. This whole thing has come along sort of as a, an inspiration, and it has been truly um, transformative. It's been very exciting because I sincerely believe that there's been too much Latino bashing, particularly over the last year and a half with all the debate over immigration, and that people need to see the positive side of what the Latino culture is contributing to this country. And so it's just evolved in a very positive way. The basic premise of the book, if I understand correctly, is the positive impact that Latinos all across the country are having on mainstream America. Is that right? Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about that and what you have discovered along the way. Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, um, one of the things that is a Latino value that everybody talks about and everybody says, oh, you know, this is so indicative of the Latino culture is the sense of family and how important family is. But then, you know, let's bear down and try to understand what it is, is it about the Latino family? Because every culture will say that their family is important. But one of the characteristics of the Latino family that I see is very, you know, strong is the whole concept of collectivism or the familismo 
which is where the good of the group is more valuable than group, the good of the individual. So we do things, you know, as groups. I, was at, I went to see the movie um, El Cantante this weekend, and I was there with a couple of friends, but a Latino family comes in, like seven people come walking into the movie theater just as the movie started, and the movie theater was packed, and they had to find seats. And so what happened was the gentleman sitting next to me moved over two seats. I moved over. So everybody made room for this group, this family that came in, because we realized that the family is, you know, that, that the group is important. And so, um, and I think that carries over into the workforce. We see today, for example, that in corporations, that um, they, the, the group work, the teamwork, and the attitude of not having a hierarchical system, um, and Stephen Covey talks about this, and Thomas Friedman talks about this, that it's important to have the group involved in the processes. And this is something that we learn from our Latino families, and it's valued within the culture today. So that's one example. Um, another is um, our work ethic, the determination and hard work that I would venture to say all immigrant populations have contributed to this country, but you can see it um, all the time now. And for example, what we're seeing from many of the national organizations that are like the National Restaurant Association, the New England Apple Council, um, many of the um, harvesters and people that have Latinos working within their ranks um, value the work ethic that Latinos have because they're, they're strong, they work hard, They've got a good attitude. You usually hear them singing or laughing, you know, and it's a very positive experience when you have Latinos around um, working in a, in a system. So um, the determination and hard work, I think, is another very strong contribution. There are a lot of people who don't really believe that um, working hard has its merit, and for us as Latinos, we get dignity and respect from working hard. And so that is the value that we get out of going, doing a good job. So those are two examples. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, in what concrete ways would you say, excuse me, in what concrete ways would you say that you have observed the actual impact of Latino culture is making on mainstream culture? Um, okay, let's go back to the family again. And one of the other elements about our families are our um, elders uh, in the family, the abuelos, the grandfathers, and abuelas, grandmothers. And these people are respected and valued for their wisdom. And we, you know, we celebrate when we can be with them. My grandmother, um, Marino Rodriguez Benitez, lived in our house until she was 99 years old. And it was important that she was there because I learned many, many things from her. So that's very typical of our culture. How have we seen this um, in the mainstream? There are now, and about three years ago, three women in Miami came up with a product called Abuelito Dolls. And these Abuelito Dolls are, um, I think they're like 24 inches, and they are wearing, the grandfather's wearing a guayabera, which is the gentleman's um, white overshirt, usually that has little tucks in it that is used very often in the tropics take the place of a more formal outfit, but it's cool and it's nice, and we're starting to see this in, um, I saw it in a Land's End 
catalog about a year ago. Um, so he's wearing a guayabera. She's wearing a house dress. And these, um, these dolls teach, um, they teach folk songs, they teach nursery rhymes, and they teach um, the, the culture to Latino and non-Latino children. And they've been highly successful, so much so that in Walmart and Target last year at the holiday season, they had them in, each one of these mass marketers had them in over 300 stores. They've added other products. So, you know, here's one example of how the culture is coming into the mainstream in a product that, you know, I don't know any other, um, uh, I don't know any other company that has thought about marketing grandparent dolls. We've got American Girl, we've got the other dolls that are the Barbie dolls, but not grandparent dolls. And I just think this is delightful. What kinds of reactions have you had since the release of the book? Well, it just came out, um, Elena, in uh, about the 6th or 7th of July. So we're still just a month out. But I've had some very positive results. And I've had positive results from the Latino population and for the non-Latino population. The Latino population, um, for example, one gentleman, um, Pepe Vargas, who is the founder of the International Latino Cultural Center and the Chicago Latino Film Festival. He said, Christina, this is fantastic. He said, I w can't wait for the next book because we need to put a lot more in it. But it talks to the diversity of our cultures, which is one thing that is important. I think that the country as a whole um, may not really appreciate as much as um, you know we have in this country. We have 22 different nationalities. And although it's predominantly Mexican, we still have many, many other traditions and foods and music and culture and contributions from the other um, uh, nationalities as well. So from the Latino side, I'm getting very positive response. From the non-Latino side, I'm getting very positive response as well. And um, I have to use my next-door neighbor, Lynn Scott, who's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, who's 72 years old, and she's... You know, she grew up in the Midwest, and for her and for people that are not Latino, it's the sort of book that teaches them some things about the Latino culture because, let's face it, it's not going to change, you know, it's not getting going to get any smaller, and the more we learn to understand, then we're going to um, break down barriers and fear and um, resentment towards a population that we may not know about. So from both sides, I'm getting some very positive responses. And we got into a second printing already, so that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Share with us a little bit, if you would, about the experts that you reached out to to share their insights and their experiences on the topic, how you selected them, and what the overall thoughts were that they contributed to the project. Well, um, I primarily selected people from Chicago um, for two reasons. One, because I was able to get to them um, easily, and because many of these people I actually know and have a lot of respect for, and they come from you know, a variety of different um, um, areas, as you mentioned before. But also, um, as a marketer and people who are in the Hispanic marketing business realize, Chicago is very often used as a test market 
because we serve as a microcosm for the United States and how the population, the Latino population, is traditionally dispersed within this country. Um, so that is why, you know, primarily I selected people from Chicago. But fortunately, I knew um, people like Dr. Juan Andrade, who was the founder of the U.S. Hispanic Leadership Institute. He's had this organization for over 20 years and has done a tremendous job in um, uh, teaching young um, Latinos how to get into the workforce and, and has been instrumental in getting people to um, sign up and become registered voters. And he's a very, he's recognized, he was recognized with a presidential medal by the Clinton administration. So he was, you know, a perfect example of somebody who understands the youth population and somebody who, who's involved in the political realm. Um, and then I was fortunate to um, be able to meet and interview uh, Henry Cisneros who, again, is a very, very respected Latino throughout the nation. He worked under the, um, pres President Clinton again. Um, he was the first Latino mayor of San Antonio. He was president of Univision, and now he's an executive chairman of City View. And he um, had some very, you know, positive and interesting things to say about the housing of Latinos and how to create um, housing development and affordable housing for Latinos, even down to the um, architectural layout so that it would fit some of the Latino needs. So Henry Cisneros was also a very positive influence. And then, you know, people like um, Eduardo, Eduardo Villaro, who is the uh, artistic founder of the Luna Negra Dance Theater, which is a young, vibrant, um, very creative Latino dance um, company here in Chicago. Um, they're doing. They've, they've also done um, many uh, performances throughout Latin America and the United States. And in January, they're doing their New York City debut. They're going to be there for two weeks. Um, so those are just a couple of the people. Then I also um, selected some people that were non-Latino, such as Rick Bayless. Rick Bayless is a restaurateur in Chicago. He's received the James Beard Award, which is the coveted um, culinary award many times, and he is originally from Oklahoma. Um, he was in the rest. His family's been in the barbecue restaurant business, but he has created one of the most elegant yet authentic Mexican cuisine restaurants in the United States. And every year, he will take his staff to a different town in Mexico, so they will learn firsthand about the ingredients and the cuisine and the culture, and he is a real, real devotee of um, the Mexican culture and the Mexican cuisine, and he serves it in the most elegant, authentic way. He's taken, you know, the traditional text mess and just catapulted it into many, many, you know, layers above that. Um, th then we have um, Mary Dempsey, who's the commissioner of the Chicago Public Library System, which has over 80 libraries um, in, in the Chicago area, many of them in Latino neighborhoods, and she's watched firsthand how the Latino culture has um, co been coming into the Chicago um, metropolitan area and how the libraries have adapted themselves by getting um, books and having staff and being prepared to deal um, with the Latino population by supplying all of their literature in well, all of their communication, or most of the communication in Spanish as well. 
so I thought it was important to have people that were not, you know, just Latino, but people that were non-Latino to be able to um, discuss how they're seeing the Latino contributions. And they all come up with the same thing. It's the determination. It's the family. It's the hard work. It's the celebratory view of life that Latinos have, how we like to celebrate, and we have great passion that we express. And, and um, I mentioned in my book that you can see how expressive we are just by looking at the punctuation in the language, because if you look at a sentence that has this exclamatory that's excited, you'll see the exclamation point at the beginning of the sentence. So you can see that it's time to get excited right from the very beginning, that that's, that's the way we are. So we're very expressive. And um, all of these, these were the main themes that kept coming up again and again from both the Latino and the non-Latino. If readers walk away, and listeners today, with one thing, if they remember only one thing from Latinization, the book, what would you like that to be? Well, I think the biggest um, point that I'm trying to make here is that Latinization doesn't mean we're turning this country into a Latin nation. You know, it's not the idea that we're, that Latinos are going to um, change this um, into a totally Latino, you know, Latino nation. That's not what it's about. It's about the diversity of the Latino culture and the contributions that Latinos are making. And the purpose of the book is to dispel the fear and keep people, give people an open mind that there's more than one way to look, to think, to be. And this is why the prologue of the book that was written by um, Dr. Kathy Sullivan, who was the first American astronaut to walk in space, is that when you look at the world, you know, from 200 miles above the Earth, and you look down and you see this little blue marble, that if we're not tuned into the fact that everybody has something very, very important to contribute to this world, then we can't really consider ourselves cultured and, and ed educated people. Um, so those, that's the point that I'm trying to make in a long sentence. <laughs> For those who, especially of late, as you pointed out, have been expressing their fears about immigration, especially from Mexico, and about diseases and loss of jobs, and all of these negative things. And for those same people and many others who say that Latinos, like all the other immigrant groups before them, should just blend in with the rest of the population, what would you say? Well, you know, first of all, um, to answer your question about the labor, the U.S. Department of Labor estimates that between 10 and 20 million jobs will not be filled within the next decade, you know, with the labor pool that we have right now. So we need to be increasing our labor pool. And, men, you know, immigration is not just an, an issue in the United States of America. There are immigrants throughout the world, and they're going into many countries throughout the world, Unfortunately, countries like France and Japan are not getting enough immigrants, so they are actually um, at a deficit right now, and they're not going to be able to supply um, the labor that's necessary. The other thing that um, Latinos are contributing to are the Social Security. They're contributing to many of the um, so services that we have here in this country, 
we have a baby boomer population that's getting to retire, getting ready to retire, and they need these resources and they need the continued influx of the money to be able to receive. As I hope, you know, the younger generations will continue to receive. But I think, you know, that um, the Latino movement that is that we've seen, particularly since 1990, with this big influx of people since 1990, um, that. It's at a, we're at a, um, it's creating a, a diversity tipping point that no longer can we keep our focus only on what is going on in the United States. And, you know, you can add a political bent to this, which I won't go into right now, but, you know, I think it's time for us to put on our global glasses and that it's time to look beyond just, you know, what is necessary for the United States, but again, to think of the collectivism, what is important for the world and not just for me individually. And um, I feel that, that by doing that, then we're going to start to see that the contributions outweigh some of the negativity that many of these talk, um, radio talk show or TV talk show hosts are making into some incendiary um, you know, exclamations about what the, the bad parts about Latinos. But Latinos pay taxes. Latinos have added a lot to the, um, the overall population. They are, you know, as I mentioned before, the, the people that are in the um, harvesting business and the apples and the apricots and the, and the beets and the cherries, all of these people are really going to be in trouble. And they already are in trouble because of the backlash against uh, the immigrants. And they're having a very hard time now picking their crops, and their crops are rotting. So what's this going to do is it's going to increase the cost of the goods that we're consuming. So the goal of the book is to help people to um, open their minds to some of these things and hopefully help them understand that. Lately, we've been hearing, in spite of all of the immigration brouhaha, we're actually hearing that the percentage of growth of Mexican immigrants is starting to decrease. There is speculation, nobody can tell for sure, of course, because it's difficult to know how many people are crossing the border. Right. But there's speculation that the amount of immigration, that the percent of immigration growth, so it's not that the immigration is declining, it's still at an increase, there are still immigrants coming across the border, but that the percent of that increase is slowing down. And those who do these things say that their projections indicate the future growth in the United States is going to come from U.S.-born Latinos. Correct. Well, what it already is. I mean, I, I, the, the statistics point out to the fact that the majority of the growth that we're having right now within the United States, the Latino population, is coming from those Latinos born in the United States, primarily because Latinos, uh, Latino women tend to have more babies than the non-Latino. And so this is where we're seeing a lot of growth within the youth population. For example, um, the, the Pew Hispanic Center found that between 1994 and 2003, that Hispanics accounted for 64% of the I call these the Latinos, those, those kids that are between the ages of 10 and 19, 
today they represent 25% of the total teen population, and they spend a lot of money. They spend over $20 billion within the last year or so. So um, we're seeing that that youth population is the one that is really driving the growth. And, you know, going back to um, the fact that the, the numbers of people are coming across the border is um, diminishing, of course it would. I mean, the, the, um, the horrors of the stories that you hear of people coming into this country would scare anyone. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, tragic thing. And then people that are not documented, as many people have said, are living in the shadows because they don't want to be caught. How is this changing, if at all, the Latinization process? Is this going to have an impact on the, the culture? Well, I don't think it's going to change it. And again, I, I just have to talk about my personal experience and also observing other Latinos. Um, because I've found that as um, our culture is being... Um, you're seeing it in the media. You're seeing it in entertainment. You're seeing it in sports. You're seeing it come into the mainstream to the point where when we were um, chatting just before we went um, started our, our interview here, um, I can say my name, Cristina Benitez, with a, with a Latino accent to it, and I feel totally comfortable doing that today. I couldn't have done that five years ago. So I only see that because it's it's, this wave has started, it's going to continue as we start to see more and more of this um, positive influences in the country. And people will, you know, people today when they see the word, for example, caliente um, on a menu, I would venture to say everybody knows what it means. You know, it, it means hot. You know it's spicy. It's going to be something that's hot. So I don't think it's going to diminish. I think it's going to continue because um, of the, the movement, but also the fact that the the um, second generation, people like myself, can reclaim, and this has been going on for some time, marketers know this, the reacculturation of Latinos um, can um, be, uh, can celebrate the fact that we're Latinos today where we couldn't 20 years ago. I'm glad that you talked about language because a lot of people think that being Latino is about the language. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Um, the language is the one element that, frankly, is the, the well, one of the, the elements that unifies all of the 22 different nationalities, as, as we mentioned before. But, you know, I do want to talk about language because Latinos come in speaking Spanish. But study after study after study shows that Latinos want to learn English. They are taking classes to learn English because they realize that the only way to truly move, you know, and get the, uh, the quote-unquote American dream is to get work in the United States where they can move up and not just be the blue-collar workers. And, you know, all Latinos realize this. So the goal, I would venture to say, for 98% of the Latinos coming into this country, the people that don't feel a need to do that are the people that are the older generation they're living within uh, Latino barrios or neighborhoods in the United States, and they don't really need to. But the younger generation, and of course we know that the Latino population is um, traditionally younger than the general market. We're about 26 years old is our average age, which I don't fit into, but, um, you know, it is the average age. In any event, you know, we want to learn how to speak English. But on the other side of the coin, having been a language teacher myself, 
I feel like it really only opens your world when you learn another language. And I'm always encouraging people, if, you're, if you don't learn Spanish, okay, that's okay. Learn Chinese. Learn another language because, again, it's time for our global glasses and it's time to broaden our view of the world. And so I think it's a very, very important aspect. And it's one thing that Latinos are bringing into the mainstream. Again, this is an example of Latinization. The understanding that being bilingual is a plus and that it doesn't scramble your brain. You know, it doesn't mean if you learn another language you're going to get all scrambled in your brain, but it actually gives you uh, the door to walk through and experience many things that you wouldn't ordinarily get to if you're just living in one language. So I think it's a very valuable contribution. Christina, going back to the book, what would you say was the best part of getting involved in the project and sharing all of these insights with readers? Well, the best part for me was um, actually getting to know the individual contributors at a deeper level um, and including them in the process. They were all very um, interested in the topic and they were all very willing to give me their time. So from the relationship standpoint, I was able to deepen my relationships with all of these people and that was a wonderful experience for me. Um, but then also taking this information and sharing it with companies um, as we go through either a marketing program or another um, area that I've developed within my company, which is Latino leadership development. And that is um, where companies, because of this diverse population, of course, are needing to diversify their employee base. So I've spoken with many companies, um, much like I did with General Electric, but um, Exelon, Kraft, PepsiCo, you know, major companies, and I've talked to their Latino employees, and it has done the same thing where it has empowered them and made them think to themselves, you know, maybe I need to brush up on my Spanish um, abilities. Because, you know, frankly, going back to the language issue, there are many Latinos who may speak street Spanish, but they're not really um, conversant in being able to write it and read it to the level of um, a professional Spanish that would really help them within the marketplace. So, um, you know, these types of things are what have given me the biggest pleasure in, um, in actually doing this. And then I have to say, because I have a um, creative and design sense, it's been particularly fun on that end of the book and how to design this so that we get the, the insights in there and the Latinization in there and how do we design it in such a way that makes it readable because it's a fast read, it's, a, it's not a heavy research um, academic type of a book. It's the sort of thing that you can open up in any place and just look to see what, you know, what the insight is with regard to housing, or what the re, um, insight is with regard to people who are in the hospitals and, and how they react to the, the um, medical profession and so forth. So it's, a, you know, it's an easy um, book that, that many different levels of people can, um, can appreciate, I hope. What was the biggest challenge? What was the hardest part? The hardest part was, I think, getting down the home stretch. And I worked, I was very disciplined about this. I would get up very early and I would go and I would sit and I would write um, almost every morning. And I had an intern help me with some of the research. But, you know, the majority of it is, is, 
a lonely world. And I would do that early in the morning because then, of course, you have your business to attend to as well. Um, so the most difficult part actually was was finishing it and getting towards the end. And I just have to use um, this uh, example because I got finally my last um, shove of inspiration from my son and his wife who live in Colorado, and they're rehabbing their own house, and they're doing this all themselves. And they've been so diligent, working so hard on this, and I've, I saw them at Christmas time, how they were doing things slowly and getting it done, but they kept on doing it, and doing it, and doing it, and doing it. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to finish this up by the end of January, and I did. And so that was the, that was the most difficult part, was just, you know, getting the end of it done. And then sort of the nitpicky part of, I think, of writing and, and finishing a book. It's like checking the, the small details. The, you know, the small details are no fun to work on. How long did it take you? I started in January of 2006, and I finished it in January 2007. Is there another book in the works? You know, I'm thinking about one. Um, I have to get over this um, initial talk myself first, um, but I am. I've started thinking about something. I certainly haven't started putting any, anything together, but I'm thinking. So we'll see what happens next. What we'll if... look for Gabriel Garcia Marquez and see what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're thinking of a fiction. No, 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 no. Not at all. Uh, not at all. My cousin Sandra Benitez is a fiction writer, and she's excellent. So I um, have to put in a plug for her as well. What advice would you give, Christina, to aspiring authors among our listeners who are thinking and feeling inspired from what you've shared with us today? What would you tell them? You know, I'll, I'll give you one of my personal model, uh, mottos and then one that I heard when I was working out. Uh, on Sunday. One of my personal mottos is just make it up and make it happen. And that is, you know, if you see something that you think you want to do, just say you're going to do it and start doing it. And that's frankly what I did with the book. I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. And then I started thinking, okay, what's the, you know, what's the thesis of the book? What are the chapter headings? And I just, I just started doing it. And before you know it, the process starts to take you and you start to do it. Um, but you have to do it. And then the the uh, command I heard from this drill sergeant of a guy at the gym, who's the, the trainer, said, you don't have to like it. Just do it. So sometimes when we work, it's not always going to be pleasant. It's all, not always going to be fun. But the process, when as you look back on it, is very, very satisfying. And if you think you can do something like this, you know, Nike's already said it, just do it. You know, there's nothing to be, there's no reason why anybody can't write a book. Um, you just sit down and you start writing it a word at a time, a day at a time, and that's how it happens. And you have to have some patience and some staying power, right? Because you well, said... Well, you do. It's the staying power that makes it, you know, that, that, um, that makes it congeal for you. But I think that once you start and you get the process going, then you are fueled by the interest that you get out of this. And that's what would happen to me. I'd get some ideas, and I'd get excited, and I'd talk to somebody, and they would give me some more ideas, and that would be inspiring, and that would help, and then I would keep doing it. But you just have to keep doing it. Um, it's, like, it's like 
You know, it's like learning how to play the piano. It's like running a marathon. It's like doing any of these things. You just have to take it a day at a time and, and um, practice the skill a little bit at a time. I never thought that it, I never knew how long it was going to be. I never thought how long this was going to take me. I just worked on it. And then um, I knew when I was close to the end that I wanted to finish it and get it done. What's next in the Latinization arena? What do you, what do you see in the future? Well, I'll tell you what I see for, um, for Lazos Latinos specifically is that we're moving, as I mentioned earlier, more into this Latino leadership empowerment and helping Latinos understand how our values are giving us a competitive edge in the marketplace. And I feel that that is a need um, right now within corporations. Everybody's understanding the importance of diversity and have been for some time, but it's time to move past this the um, you know sensitivity training and uh, inclusion and get more into what um, is being called cross-cultural competency where people of different backgrounds and value systems are really taking time to understand each other and that we can um, embrace and accept um, how each is contributing to the good of the whole again so I think that for Latinization that we're going to see that that we're going to see it, we're going to continue to see products, we're going to continue to see, um, you know, in the media with our, uh, with the programming, the Ugly Bettys, um, uh, in the programming on TV, for example, we'll continue to see more and hopefully good quality um, programming and entertainment for Latinos, of course, in music and in politics. We've got a um, Latino um, candidate for the President of the United States with Bill Richardson, and this is the first time that it's ever happened, and he is a very qualified um, political individual, and I think that's very exciting. So I think we're just going to continue to see that. For our marketing-oriented listeners, Christina, what three suggestions would you share with them relating to Latinization as they put together their marketing plans and budgets? Well, you know, first of all, for budgets, one is that um, this, this population is just going to continue to be your consumer, and it's going to grow, and as the um, non-Latino population is not going to be growing at the same rate, then you're going to be able to increase your market share and you're going to be able to increase your contribution to your company's bottom line by adding Latinos to your consumer base. So that's one thing. And uh, just knowing that intellectually is one thing, but um, putting the dollars behind it in a sustainable campaign is what needs to happen on that end. But then the other element, which is something that we've been talking about, frankly, since I first started in this business, but and it's changed names over the years, but the most, most important way to communicate to Latinos is through culturally relevant communication, meaning that you don't take something that is created for an Anglo population and translate it and make think it's going to work for the Latino population. That doesn't work anymore. Um, a good example that I just saw um, this year with um, the iPod commercials, Apple's iPod commercials, they created a TV ad that had their signature silhouette-type design over a very bright background. But the name of the campaign is Mi Swing Es Tropical, and it has Latino musicians and dancers 
um, again, in this very interesting um, silhouette type of a, a design style, dancing in a way that I know that these are people from the Caribbean, that these are dancers that are living that kind of a culture every single day. It's not somebody who's learned how to do salsa who they're using in an ad. It is so genuine, and it touches me as a Latina in a way that is much deeper than um, I think companies really realize, that when we as Latinos see um, genuine and true and very you know, thoughtful um, communication to us that is using our culture in, its, in, its, in, in the way that it is genuinely experienced, then you're really going to resonate on an emotional level. And let's face it, that's how people make decisions when it comes to buying things. It has to hit me on an emotional level as well as a need. So I think um, there are just two. I won't even give you three. I think there are two things. Spend the money and do culturally relevant advertising. Thank you, Christina, for joining us today from Chicago. Elena, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Cristina Benitez, who is author of Latinization, How Latino Culture is Transforming the U.S., who discussed her book, brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. For more information, on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.